What an uplifting time. Thank you for all of you who shared. Wow, you, you, you blessed us all. I'm Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at Hillside. And again, so good to see you all today. Ten weeks ago, we all came to church and we set out on a journey, a journey of following Jesus on his miraculous march through Galilee. And over those last 10 weeks, we have relived together as a church family most of the biggest moments in Jesus's life between his inaugural sermon in his hometown synagogue and the moment that he discerns that his time has come. The time to go to Jerusalem to accomplish his life's mission, which is to rescue the planet by defeating cosmic evil on the cross and by establishing a people of which we're all part who would bear witness to that rescue through all sorts of acts of creative love, acts of love like building magi sets, which Rachel Aylard, Jake Brooks, Frank Canova, Matt DeYoung, Chris Harala, John Miller, Michelle Miller did all yesterday. Do you appreciate all their work and what it's going to mean in a couple of weeks? Yeah. Well, this morning, we have a final story to relive. It's a short one, but it's one that makes a very powerful postscript for this Galilee by Storm series. So we're going to jump right in, reading at chapter 9, verse 51. You can follow along on your message notes. Luke says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Well, Luke tells us that Jesus and his disciples head out for their three-day journey to Jerusalem, and Luke emphasizes Jesus's determination. Setting the face was a common expression at the time to describe moving towards a goal with an iron will. And then Luke tells us that Jesus sends associates ahead into town to make accommodations for this traveling party. And Jesus's intention is to bunk down in a Samaritan village. Now, on the one hand, this surprises us as readers because most Jewish people, when they traveled between Galilee and Jerusalem, would loop to the west so that they could avoid Samaria because, as many of you know, there was a historic rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans, but Jesus doesn't do it. He doesn't take the detour. He cuts right through Samaria. Well, Luke tells us in verse 53 that the Samaritans don't roll out the red carpet for him. And Luke doesn't elaborate, but we can gather from what happens next that the disciples are hacked. They are incensed by this indignity. Now, we can all appreciate the sting of haughty treatment, but when that sting comes from someone 
from whom you are expecting hospitality, the sting is much greater. A couple of years ago, on a trip down to San Diego that uh, my twin brother and sister-in-law took with Alice and me, we did the Seven Bridges hike throughout San Diego, and I recommend this hike if, if you like hiking, which a lot of hillsiders do. It's this really fun loop in and around the city where you literally cross seven bridges, all different. It's a lot of fun. Well, about two-thirds of the way through the hike, some of us need a restroom break. We were all hopped up on hot chocolate because it was cold, and it went right through us. But unfortunately, there were not any public restrooms around. Well, being the older brother, I'm four minutes older than my twin, uh, I appointed myself commander of our urban expedition. So I assume responsibility for uh, finding a place that will meet our biological needs. And so we march maybe another 100 clicks or so, and I spot a building a community health center that has a banner over the door that reads, welcome. And I think to myself, problem solved. The security guard would not let us in. He would not let us in. And I looked at him and I said, but you're a health center. And this is a health issue. Can't help you he said. And he did not care that the four of us were hopping up and down right in front of him. And I was flabbergasted. Totally. But the point, we can understand the disciples being perturbed here by the Samaritans' rudeness when by the Middle Eastern standard, they should have expected welcome without any kind of question. Nevertheless, what happens next is so absurd. It's so outrageous that if we are reading carefully, we're really tuned into this story, we've got to laugh. It's genuinely funny, and the people I've read this story to this week have laughed when I've read it out loud to them. Listen, starting at verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, meaning the inhospitality, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? (laughs) James and John want to call in a heavenly airstrike. And they want to respond to this insult by incinerating the town. And with straight faces, they ask Jesus if he will sign off on this. Now, to be totally fair to them, as we pointed out in a previous message, Jesus has been doing some Elijah-like things over the course of this initial phase of his ministry, and once Elijah did, in fact, call down fire to scorch enemy soldiers who were trying to arrest him. So perhaps that story is running through their minds. But even so, if we are reading this story carefully, again, with an awareness of all that has happened up to this point, I mean, we have got to be totally flabbergasted by this proposal. And we have to ask, what has Jesus ever done? Or what has Jesus ever said 
to make them think that he could possibly approve of them torching this town. I mean, his whole Galilean tour has been a hurricane of healing people and welcoming people and saving people and including people. And even in the last eight days or so, Jesus has intensified his instruction to the disciples about how the kingdom moves forward and how in particular they are to follow him. And just before this story, you see, Jesus overhears his disciples jawing over who's the greatest. So what does he do when he hears this? He, he huddles them up and then taking a child under his arm. Think somebody like Sebastian Gomez, a great kid in our family group on Sunday nights. And with his kid under his arm, he says to the disciples that the kingdom way is not about fighting for position and power. He says, rather, it's about humble service with service to children being the prototype. And then shortly after that, the disciples get all riled up when they learn that somebody has the gall to cast out demons in Jesus' name who's not in their little group. And this offends their dignity. They can't believe somebody would even think to do that. And this is especially galling to them because previously they had struck out on their own attempts to cast a demon out of somebody, even though Jesus had specifically authorized them to do this. Well, Jesus, again, he looks at them, and he says, don't stop them, for the one who is not against you is for you. And his general point is, hey, guys, put your egos away. And in every way that he possibly can, Jesus has been saying, right up to this very awkward moment in Samaria, that the way of the kingdom is not egotistical self-assertion. It's not maintaining one's touchy honor against all slights. Rather, it's self-effacing, self-extending, generous, practical love. And yet here, the very second that their dignity takes a little dent, they are ready to call in the C-130 gunships. Well, how does Jesus respond? What's he say? And again, I think the writer here has written this up in a way to crack us up. Listen to what happens in verse 55. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Jesus doesn't even dignify the question with a response. At least that's sort of the way that Luke portrays it. It's as if Jesus, when he hears this totally ridiculous proposal, he simply says, oh, please, and they just keep on walking. Now, again, you know, if you're like me, when you read this story of the disciples' sheer shameless, egotistical bellicosity, your instinct is to scorn them and to, to roll your eyes and ask yourself, how could these knuckleheads possibly suggest this? And have they learned anything at all by being with Jesus over this time that they've been with him? And again, that really was me. 
as I have been simmering over this funny story, but I got to tell you, I had a realization, and one that stopped me in my tracks when it came clear. You know what? Here's the truth about me. In my own way, I call down fire regularly. And of course, I'm much more subtle than the disciples in my penchant for pyromancy, we could say, all right? My instinct to sear anyone who in that moment seems like a Samaritan, okay? But it comes from that same thin-skinned spirit. And recently, I experienced something that felt like a snub. And let me ask you, do you know what was different about this snub? Nothing. Nothing at all. Totally typical. The same kind of minor slight that we all experience in life, walking around the world as we do, bumping into other imperfect people. Nevertheless, after my little Samaritan moment, <laughs> I found myself scheming. I found myself making battle plans for the verbal fire I would lay down if given a chance to correct the sorry soul who dared blaspheme the petty tribal God who is me. Can you relate at all? And if we take an honest look at ourselves, as well as most other people, we have to conclude that as human beings, we're a lot like James and John. We, we're sons of thunder, too. And we're creatures who very quickly call down fire on anyone who slights us, even if that calling down is only in our minds and, and souring our moods. Well, what do we learn here in this final chapter uh, of the story? It's something that we've already learned, but it's something that as believing people who are trying to learn the way of Jesus, it's something we need to be reminded of time and again, and it's this, Jesus offers a better way. He really does. It's, it's a way that frees us from the prison of joy-devouring defensiveness and community-corrupting contempt. And as I've looked back and reflected on this fall series, Galilee by Storm, this theme, honestly, is my biggest takeaway. I've learned a lot, I hope, like you have, but this is the thing that I'm really tucking down into my own heart. It's the theme expressed in what Jesus says in Luke 6, 35. Listen to this and let it wash over you. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You know, as disciples of Jesus, here's the truth. We are called to call down something on our enemies, on those Samaritans who send us packing, but it isn't fire. 
When I was a college pastor back in Davis, I had a student named Matt Moreno who I got very close to in a short amount of time. He was in our ministry just for one year, drove over from Sac State. And Matt was in the ROTC for the Air Force. And again, he's a great guy. And after graduating and getting his commission, Matt became an ALO. I had no idea what that was uh, when I met him, but he filled me in. And ALO is an air liaison officer. And I learned from Matt that, that even though ALOs are Air Force personnel, and we tend to think about them as buzzing around the sky, ALOs deploy with combat units from the Army and the Marines. And their job, when things get hairy in the middle of the fight, is to call in and direct an airstrike. You know something? As disciples of Jesus, as agents of the world's one true Lord, we are alos as well, except the ordinance that we call in is very different. It doesn't ignite. It diffuses tense situations. It doesn't harm. It heals. It doesn't blow up. It builds up. You see, the bombs we drop are blessings, creative blessings, thoughtfully conceived to convert the enemy into a friend if it can possibly be done. The fire that we call down as people who belong to Jesus is forgiveness and unexpected grace and the invitation to walk together and to talk together and to seek common ground, even if it requires some suffering. That's the Jesus way. That's the true human way, and it's our way here at Hillside, because we're a family of followers of Jesus. One more thing I love about this final story. Notice that even though Jesus is plainly perturbed, (laughs) By this insane proposal, their crazy proposal to throw down fire, he doesn't fire them. He doesn't say, I've had it. You people are hopeless. I'm getting a brand new team of 12. Not at all. And we know this because after this quick reprimand, what does Luke say? He says, and they went on to another village. And isn't it good news that Jesus, he doesn't fire us either. (laughs) He doesn't fire us even after our petty playing with fire moments. He keeps us near him. He's always inviting us to keep traveling with him, to keep moving forward in full conformity with him. So we look and act like him, to keep learning his very very particular, peace-loving way. Father, thank you for what we have learned and experienced this fall in our Galilee by Storm series. Thank you for the skill we've gained in reading these true stories, these amazing stories of your Son. And we're grateful that because of what you've shown us over these last 10 weeks, we are all better equipped to live like him in this hurting world, to represent him in this world. Your son, our Savior, 
our king, the one who is coming, the one we want to be ready for. We're so grateful. We pray in his name. Amen. We have prayer team members, the leader of whom is right here, Janet Nowhere. She's going to come up. And I invite you, as we all go into this Thanksgiving week, which is, God willing, going to be a week full of joy, but like all holidays, can have its own share of stress and tension, right? Times we might be tempted to call down something other than a blessing on our brother-in-law, right? Maybe you want prayer before the week. Prayer for strength, for courage, for joy. Maybe you're sick. You need healing today. You need the great physician to, to come upon you with his power and to heal you right here. We have no reason to think he can't. Maybe you're just sad today. You need the spirit to fill you and to lift you up. Maybe you're scared about something and you need courage. She's here. Here's your benediction. Would you stand? May the Lord fill you all, dear ones, to overflowing with joy as you live in thankfulness this week. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.